going to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read four verses, then go to the book of Acts and read 11 verses. I will be preaching out of the book of Acts for a little while. I'll explain that as we go through it. I'll give you another moment. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Take a moment. (coughs) Starting in verse 1, I'll read the verse 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty. Can everybody say certainty? Certainty. Concerning the things you have been taught. Would you turn to Acts chapter 1? Acts 1.1, I'll read to verse 11. My wife asked me to wait. My wife says, okay, I'm ready. You know what the husband does now, right? If she's ready, that means the husband's ready. Okay. In the first book, O Theophilus, here's Theophilus again, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's the book of Luke. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times nor seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the words of your Son. We thank you for the work of your Son. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you're doing so many wonderful and marvelous things in this world, Father God. That if we take our eyes for a moment off of Jesus Christ and the mission of the gospel, we will get lost in despair and misery, God. For everything that this world offers, as we sang tonight, can not satisfy it's vanity of vanities 
It's the wind chasing the wind. God let us understand with certainty the things that we have been taught. Let us live in the safety and the comfort of biblical understanding. This is what I ask tonight in Christ's name. We have the title up there? If we can get that title, did I give a title? I got two titles here, so I want to make sure that the title comes up as the one I say. All right? Sometimes I work off of two or three different titles. Ah, there we are. Okay, I won't use this first one then. Okay, the gates of hell shall not prevail. You would think by saying such a statement, I would go to Matthew chapter 16 right away where Jesus says, Peter, who do people say that I am? And he said, some say Jeremiah, some say one of the prophets. But Christ asked him, who do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, that's right, Peter. This was not revealed to you by men, but revealed to you by my father. And upon this rock, I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall You can rest assured that when Jesus was in the tomb for three days, it looked like the gates of hell did prevail. This might look like a backwards way of speaking about the gates of hell won't prevail, but the book of Acts is about the gospel power to go to the ends of the earth even 2,000 years later from its humble beginnings in Jerusalem with a man hanging on a cross with a man going into the grave and now today you and I our hearts are filled with hope and filled with power and filled with joy and have the peace and contentment of the Holy Spirit in a world that doesn't satisfy why because the gates of hell have not prevailed against the gospel It will never prevail against the hope of Jesus Christ. If every government tried to shut down the preaching of the gospel, and they have, and they will try to do it, it will not stop souls from being saved. It will not. Some of the biggest and greatest work done right now is in communist China. In communist China, as I speak, revival has been going on for decades there, underground. The government, they try to close it down, they try to shut it down, they hunt down the pastors, the shepherds, they imprison them, they torture them, they beat them, and they kill the families, and guess what keeps going on? The gospel. Because the gates of hell will not prevail. As we go through the book of Acts, I want to show you, or let God show us, that no matter what, the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel. And that's what the book of Acts is. Sometimes it's called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's called the Acts of the Apostles. But really what's going on over here is that the gospel message will spread. It's a 30-year period that uh, Luke is talking about here. And it goes against every opposition. And we'll get into this as we get into tonight's text. It goes against every opposition, and guess what? The gates of hell did not prevail. It will never. 
We belong to a kingdom. If you are born again, if you have given your life to Christ, if you have repented of your sins and been washed by the Holy Spirit, understand something. You are adopted into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It cannot be taken away. The hope that this kingdom gives, the peace and the joy that this kingdom gives cannot be taken away. Physical harm can't take it. Uh, 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 Threats can't take it. Death can't take it. Nothing can take away the hope of the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Luke says, he talks about the certainties about the things you have been taught. To this man named Theophilus, and I'll get into this gentleman as we go along. I just want to bring this out. God desires to have a learned church. A learned church. They were taught. But Luke says, I want you to to understand with certainty. You believe the general teaching. But now I want you to see it for your own eyes. I want you to have a clear, articulate, historical context for what has taken place. This is not something that's happened. This is not some fable that's happened on the other side of the world that we're trying to get you to be convinced of. No, this has taken place in real time and space. Starting in Jerusalem, has reached your ears, Theophilus. You have embraced it. Now I want you to be certain of it. And that's what God wants for all of us. God desires to have a learned church. Faith is not some kind of empty uh, leap into the unknown. I've heard that expressed before. You have to have faith. You have to have the mystery of the faith. It's like, ooh, what does that mean? Like, the less you know, the more powerful the faith is. That's not Christianity. Christianity is being certain about the things we were taught. It's an historical understanding of an objective work by the Son of God on Calvary that touches our heart, the resurrection, the exaltation of Christ that overwhelms us. Brings us into the kingdom of God, washes away our sins, takes away our past, gives us a whole new hope, uh, a whole new future, a whole new hope. And why? We have to have deep biblical roots. I'm speaking as a pastor now. Okay, you're going to find out Luke was speaking as a pastor. As a pastor, we have to have deep. Biblical roots that our faith rests not on man, not on me, not on anything. That faith, faith rests on scriptural truth, secure and safe in God's revelation. As a pastor, that's what I want. That's what John wants. That's what we labor to do. To bring you truth on Sunday and on Monday and on Thursdays at the women's group and on the men's group. Our desire is to expound on scripture that it fills your heart. For scripture reveals itself. I don't have to convince you of it. The Holy Spirit does that. It's self-revelatory. It speaks for itself. We'll be looking at certain themes in the book of Acts that are important to our understanding of God, our understanding of Christ, understanding of the Holy Spirit, understanding of redemption, understanding the Christian movement, having its roots in Judaism. Uh, and it's offer our church sonship an opportunity to study along with us. So as we go through this, it's probably going to take me about two months, maybe a little longer. As we go through these themes, you can read Acts maybe once, twice, two or three times. It's not hard, 28 chapters. Uh, I'd like to see you read it over the next month several times as we follow along. 
and to grasp this manuscript that teaches us so much of why you and me are here today with hope. Does anybody in this room have hope besides me, honestly? I have hope, and it's not based on what this world offers. It's not based on if life is good or if life is bad. My hope grows and my joy, my joy grows and my peace grows because the God I understand is getting bigger and bigger and bigger in my life. He never ceases to get bigger. The closer we get to going home. Let's become familiar with this book and the themes that are in it. Luke talks about certainty. He wanted Theophilus to be certain of the things he taught. It means stability. The word means stability. It means safety. It means assurance. It means a guarantee. It means to make something secure without slipping. Oh, Theophilus, I want you to know what you believe. You would be certain in the things you were taught. So you'd be secure in truth. That you, your life of faith would not be bound up in slippery slopes. That you'd have a stable, childlike faith. Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus. The word means, if you don't know, lover of God. Old Theophilus, lover of God. And he's writing like a pastor. There's no question about it. This man is concerned about Theophilus and his life. That's pastoral. He's concerned about not just the things he heard. He could have said, well, you you heard you're doing good, Theophilus. Go muscle it out on your own now. No, he took the time and the energy to search these things out diligently and to write to him in an orderly fashion for the sake of just this one man's faith. To be safe and secure. Little did Luke know we'd be studying him for 2,000 years. And do you know why? Because God doesn't just want the first love of Theophilus to be secure in his faith. He wants you and me, lovers of God, to be secure in our faith. Could you imagine loving God and not being secure? Could you imagine loving a parent but not sure if the parent loves you? Could you imagine a two-year-old or a four-year-old or a six-year-old or an eight-year-old going through the horror of saying, does daddy really love me? Isn't that part of the world we live in? I grew up under that. It's painful. It's painful. You can rest assured God, the Heavenly Father, does not want one of His children ever to think He doesn't love us. And He writes to us. And He encourages us. So we be stable in our Christian life with the things we have been taught. An informed sheep is a safe sheep. This is the key to reading Acts. As a matter of fact, it's the key to reading all the Bibles. It's one of the keys. It's not just a a book of miraculous, of the miraculous for curiosity seekers, but it's a book rich in the knowledge of God and of Christ and of the Holy Spirit and of the power of the gospel message to overcome every opposition. Every opposition. I can tell you now, no matter how dark the world gets, and it is getting darker, the Bible says, and I believe it, that the light came into the world and the darkness could not comprehend it. It could not extinguish the light. John chapter 1. You can't stop 
the message of the gospel. It's certain to be fulfilled. The gates of hell will not stop it. And the book of Acts is a 30-year-old snapshot portrait of early Christianity and everything it went against and everything that was thrown against it and it couldn't stop it. And 2,000 years later, we look back and you still can't stop it. I look at my own silly life and I couldn't stop it. You can't stop what God has done. God will be faithful to complete the work he began in you. Please understand something. You cannot even get in the way of the work of God. You can slow it down and you can make it painful and we all tasted that. We've all who said they didn't taste that? We've all tasted it. We all know what it is to do a little backslide dance here and there. Maybe I can maybe I can just get away with a little over here. No, you don't get away with anything because he's gonna shake it up and pound you down. He began a good work in you, and no matter what you do, he's not gonna let you go. It traces the gospel message from the spread of, from Jerusalem as a space of operations to the rest of the world, which was the end of the world back then was actually Rome. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the world. And how this message overcomes any and all hostile opposition. It could be from Satan, you'll see. From demons, you'll see. The occurred, uh, 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 Satanic influence, you'll see it. Unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Greeks, unbelieving Romans, governors, princes, Caesar himself cannot stop the message. Can't stop it. And even from within the church, a hesitation from believing Jews to bring the good news to the pagan world, they didn't want to do it. But God intervened miraculously to make sure that his stubborn people like Jonah, would carry the message to the rest of the world. Even our own personal prejudices won't stop the message of the gospel. Luke most likely wrote this around 62 AD, maybe somewhere around 70 AD, but somewhere probably in the mid-60s to be sure. It was written in a time of persecution and suffering. Uh, Many of these themes the book addresses. It's to give certainty, again, it's to give safety and security and to give hope in trying times. Has anybody ever said, why is this happening to me? Or why is this happening in general? Has anybody ever said or expressed anything like that? Well, I can rest assured by the scriptures that God is in full control. And nothing's going to stop the work of God in your life and for your soul. Nothing. It's written to first Theophilus, the lover of God. Then, of course, all true lovers of God down through the ages, even as it comes to you and me today. As we go to the text, and it's just a, a short Introduction. I'll, I'll speak more about the themes later on. I just want to speak about the first 11 verses in a narrative form. And it starts in, the, in those early sensitive 40 days between Christ's resurrection and Christ's ascension. Where the risen Lord was communicating directly to them through cameo appearances. If we read uh, the end of John and read the end of Matthew and read the end of Luke and Mark. Yeah, these cameo appearances were designed as proofs. Of who he was. 
Through many proofs, he was shown himself, Acts teaches us. And he's not just the earthly Jesus. This wasn't the earthly Jesus doing cameo appearance to prove that he was resurrected. He wasn't trying to prove he was resurrected. He was proving to them he is the glorified risen Christ. Big difference. When they looked upon Jesus, they didn't even recognize who he was anymore. Because even though he had the form of his old earthly life, he was now the glorified son of God. And he was proven to them, I am the Messiah. I am God's Christ. And I am God's Lord. And the Holy Spirit's ministry, it says here, through the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's ministry still needed to, needed for them to grasp and understand the magnitude of what was taking place. For even if an unconverted man was to see the risen Christ without grace, he would die of dread right on the sight. But Christ was showing himself physically, revealing himself physically, teaching them for 40 days about the, the kingdom of God, but yet the ministry of the Holy Spirit was needed to illuminate their minds to understand what was taking place. Without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, even if we were to see the risen Christ, we'd walk away and not care if we did not drop dead. You need to be born again. Born again. If Jesus Christ got in his little motorcade and drove around Manhattan for the past week, I'm telling you right now, people would go, woo, and they wouldn't change a lick they still be dead in their sins without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You need to be born again. That's the message New York needs to hear. That's the message the world needs to hear. That's the message my family needs to hear. The message the world needs to hear. It's not to save plastic bottles, but the man must be born again. That's what we need. Nothing else will do it. We need to be saved. And we need the Holy Spirit's ministry. He teaches, but he gives one command. One command. To stay put in a spirit of unity, in the hostile environment. Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. You stay there. They could have said, but Jesus, it's kind of hot around here. They just crucified you a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, they're still not happy with this, you know. And it's not getting good over here. You know, the world's going on. They're celebrating Pentecost. You're you're, you're gone. You're in the grave. They have no idea you've been raised from the dead. Because the only people who see Jesus raised from the dead are born-again believers. That's it. No unconverted person has ever saw the risen Christ. Though he appeared, he appeared only to his disciples. And at one time, 500. No man dead in his sins has saw the risen Christ. So in a spirit of unity, Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem. Stay here until you receive the promise of the Father, the power of the Holy Spirit. For John preached the baptism of water. But as I tell you, the Holy Spirit is going to baptize you with power. Stay put. 
No matter how hostile it looks, stay put and pray. And that's what they did. In order to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, as he says here, as I spoke to you about. And that's in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And at this coming of the Spirit, there will be a baptism of a heavenly kind, a baptism not of this world that was similar to John's baptism, but with an inward dimension of dealing with the heart in a most powerful, powerful way. After coming together, not knowing what was going to take place, this is what we call the ascension. I'll be speaking about the ascension of Christ and the necessity for a believer to understand this. Not today. But when they saw him getting taken up, they weren't going out there saying, you know, it's 40 days, Jesus, and let's get together and we'll give you a farewell. You know, we'll, we'll shoot you off to heaven over here, you know, with a bang, you know. They just went out like they've been doing, and they went out to a lonely place, and he gave commands, and as he was speaking, out of nowhere, he was just elevated up bodily into heaven. There was no warning. There was no extra, extra, come out to a deserted place tonight. Jesus Christ is going to be elevated and lifted up and translated into heaven. They were just there. Like other days, he spoke to them. And right before his eyes, he was lifted up into heaven. But they asked him, Lord, will you at time, at this time, restore the kingdom of Israel? They were truly kingdom-minded. They were about the kingdom of God, but they had a very narrow Old Testament view of it. It's not their fault. It's what the prophets taught. That's what they learned. But the prophets also taught of a new, reconfigured Israel. It's a new Israel composed of Jew and Gentile alike. Where equal status they both had before God. This the apostles and all Jewish believers had to become acquainted with. They knew it. But this kind of truth had to be learned in time and space through situations and circumstances. This kingdom of God they were so concerned about. But they didn't realize that there was a twist now. The new kingdom will be built upon God's sheer grace and not the law of Moses. Jesus, we want to go out to the kingdom of God. We want to go out and preach Moses now. Oh, no, 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 no. You're going out and preaching the, the grace of God to all. All the promises of the Old Testament about the new covenant would now be available to anyone without charge, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Without law, without circumcision, without belonging to Abraham as their father. Just faith in Christ alone inaugurates an acceptance into the kingdom of God. This kingdom has no borders, no physical markers like circumcision, no special holidays, no festivals, only saving faith expressing itself through love. Period. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? I don't see you worship. I don't see you do this. I don't see... My faith expresses itself through love to all people. 
That's the only marker the Christian has. That is it. I don't wear crosses. I don't wear this. You can. All you want. Nothing against it. We express true saving faith through love. Period. This they would have to learn on the job as they saw God's grace reach to the darkest heart. As the gospel was preached, this new reorientation of the kingdom would surely come, but at a time fixed only by the Father. They had to get acquainted in a personal way that God was doing a brand new work. And it just wasn't for the nation of Israel. It was the promise to Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed through you, Abraham. Now the time has come. And that was their job to proclaim it. Their only job at this point was wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. This is what I call waiting faith. And sometimes it's the hardest thing to do. We don't like to wait. Especially when you don't know what you're waiting for. It wasn't like, oh yeah, Pentecost is going to fill us with new tongues and you're going to, we're going to take new wine and put it into, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, sure, I'm going to speak with new tongues. Oh yeah, I'm going to walk in power. Oh, they had no reference. They could have said, a duh. Wait for what? Oh, the pro- oh yeah, that thing you said right before you got killed in, uh, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, and all that kind of stuff. They had no reference to what he was talking about. Yeah, maybe a little sketchy. He did speak about the Holy Spirit. He spoke about the Holy Spirit's ministry in depth. But they didn't understand it yet. They had no idea what was going to take place, or when it was going to take place. And that is one lesson every true believer has to learn. Waiting faith is one of the hardest expressions of faith. We're all waiting for something. All of it. If you're a Christian, you're waiting for something. Because we need God to do something. Amen? I've got things in my life I'm waiting for God. I've got things in the ministry I'm waiting for God. But I can't do nothing but wait. you know what they did while they were waiting? They prayed. Man, it's a wonderful experience. But anyway, they were to wait until they received power. The power to carry the message to the world, even a hostile world of unbelievers, even unbelieving Jews. This new power, it's to them new, but not to Christ, is from the person of the Holy Spirit. A power like dynamite to crash into this world and proclaim To it, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins, a power to go face to face and toe to toe with the religious establishment that just killed Christ and to look at them eyeball to eyeball and say you need to repent. That's the power. That's the Dudamas. That's the power they were waiting for. Little do they know. And power to overcome one of the greatest fears to man. Do you know what one of the greatest fears to man is today back then too? Is the fear of man. That's what it is. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We're afraid to speak about Jesus. A power. 
to give oneself entirely to the service of God. A power to convert the greatest sinner. A power to carry the mission, the Christian mission to its desired end, even to the end of the world. A power that even the gates of hell cannot stop. A power that breaks the yoke of oppression, to set prisoners free, to give sight to the blind, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim, uh, to overcome personal pains, personal loss, personal weakness, personal pit fears, personal sufferings, shipwrecks and famines, nakedness, peril and sword. Yeah, they were afflicted in every way, but they were not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. They were persecuted, but not forsaken. They were struck down, but never, ever destroyed. And all this power, this treasure is in earthen vessels. This is the power of God. This is the book of Acts. And nothing ever is going to stop the power of God from saving sinners. Ever. And why do you ask? It's to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to man. It's not of this earth. They were waiting for something not of this world. This is gospel power. In word and deed, and surely the gates of hell will never prevail. And Jesus Christ will be glorified in his church on this earth until he comes again. This is the book of Acts. Behind the whole movement, please understand this. I want you to read. All the oppression, everything that comes against these this grassroots movement of uneducated and untrained men, as you would read, you'll see, that nothing was going to stop it, and the power behind it was the power of the exalted Christ, seated at the right hand of God, showering down, according to the prophecy of Joel, the power of the Holy Spirit, that both men and women and even children were prophesied, have dreams and visions and they will go out with every dream every vision, every prophecy would be deed to the glory of God to prophesy and lift up and elevate Jesus Christ in a dark world men, women and children are all enlisted into the kingdom of God under the power of God this is the book of Acts. behind it is the power of the exalted Christ That Christ is exalted to the right hand of God's power and his universe and Lord over everything. He's Lord over the whole universe. Please understand something. It is invisible to the world. It's invisible to the natural eye. The world has no idea when we speak this way. But those who have experienced Jesus personally know it for themselves. If someone to say, how do you know Christ was exalted to the right hand of the Father? It's because I always tell you, if you knew who I was 25 years ago, nothing could possibly change this sinner's stripes but the power of an exalted Christ. Nothing could come into a sinner's life and turn their heart from a love of sin to the love of God. No behavioral methodology could ever do it. Nothing could ever do it. Drugs, therapy can never take someone who loves sin to love God and righteousness. Only the power 
of a risen Christ. That's it. So if you want to know, if you really want to be sure that Christ was resurrected and Christ was exalted to the right hand of the Father, you got to go to the cross first. You got to believe he died for your sins. If you believe he died for your sins, that's where it begins. Augustine said many centuries ago, before a man could understand, you have to believe in the message of the cross. When you believe you're a personal sinner under the wrath of God, and if you're not saved, you are. If you're not saved, you are. I'm here to tell you that Christ took it all for you. He went under the wrath of God. He's the greatest expression and demonstration of the love, the radical loving nature of God. To bestow on you and bestow on me and bestow on this world absolute forgiveness by faith in what Christ has done. That's what a kingdom does. And when you believe that, you experience forgiveness, you will start to experience transforming, sanctifying faith that changes your life And then you will know, as I know, that Christ has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. When you're able to continually love people that disagree with you, and continually go to people and say, let me talk to you about the Lord. And when they shut the door in your face, you go somewhere else. And you do this for one year, two years, one decade, two decades, three decades, and you're still talking about Jesus, I'm telling you now, it's because Jesus is alive and he sits at the right hand of God. You're not doing it under your power. You're not doing it under your own strength. You couldn't try it if you wanted. You might last a day on your own, a week on your own, a month on your own, possibly two months on your own, but you can never do it decade after decade after decade after decade unless the God man was interceding for us at the right hand of the Father right now. That's it. All to his glory. This is the book of Acts. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for this exciting adventure we're going to go on in these 28 chapters, God. And I praise your saints read their Bibles, God, and they and they, and they pray before they open up. And I pray that the book of Acts becomes so more real today than they've ever seen it before. I pray that they too have a personal Pentecost. I pray that they speak in tongues and sing new songs, God. I pray that you overwhelm them with dreams and visions, Father God. I pray, Father God, that they know the power of the exalted Christ. That they too can be a Effective witnesses in their own Jerusalem, their own Judea, their own Samaria, and even to the ends of the world, if you were to take us there, Father God, and to know that this power is of you. Bless us as we go in Jesus' name.